David constructs a memorial to remember a holy visit from God. A reading from 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse 18. That same day, God came to David and told him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna from Jebus. So David went up, following God's instructions, just as the Lord had commanded. Arauna looked up and saw the king and his servants approaching him. Arauna rushed out and bowed low before the king, his nose to the ground. Arauna said, Why has my master and king come to visit his servant? David said, To buy this threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord, so the plague, the plague among the people may come to an end. Then Arauna said to David, Take it for yourself, and may my master the king do what he thinks is best. Here are oxen for the entirely burned offering, and here are threshing boards and oxen yokes for wood. All this, your majesty, Arauna gives to the king. Then he added, May the Lord your God respond favorably to you. No, the king said to Arauna, I will buy them from you at a fair price. I won't offer up to the Lord my God entirely burned offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Here ends the third reading. Well, now, good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. In a film or play or novel, the final scene is often used to summarize the whole meaning of the thing. Final scenes will often hold up a symbol or a gesture or image that encapsulates the whole. Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman embracing on that sugar sand beach at the end of Shawshank Redemption, breathing in that free air. Jimmy Stewart's neighbors piling into his house with money and friendship because it's a wonderful life. A director or an author knows that the last word heard, the last image seen before the credits roll, always sort of gathers up all that's gone before. And so we pay attention to closing scenes, including this one today. After two months of tracing the life of David, we arrive this morning at the closing scene in the books of Samuel. It's the end of Samuel's narrative about David's life, but it's not a death scene. We talked about the run-up to David's death last week as described in 1 Chronicles. David's actual death at the age of 70 after a 40-year reign is covered in the book of 1 Kings. But today... On Gratitude Sunday, we're circling back to this final scene in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel. 
And what the author puts there, interestingly enough, is not a scene from late in David's life. It's a moment from early in his reign as king that the author chooses and places at the end as if to say, this should echo back over it all. This is the meaning of a life lived after God's own heart. Reading David's story, we find ourselves asking why the Bible refers to him that way. Throughout so much of his story, evil and sin are on full display in David's house. Much of the calamity that comes to him, he brings on himself, and he plants some terrible seeds in the lives of his children, which then bear tragic fruit. But because his story refuses to reduce him to a one-dimensional character who is either bad or good, and instead shows us a man who embodies many of the same flaws and failings that you and I contend with, we're able to see pieces of ourselves in his life. Our episode today begins, not surprisingly, with David committing a sin. Like many strong and gifted people, David has days when he gets a little too big for his britches. David On this particular day, it occurs to him that how great it would be if maybe he could measure all of his power and influence in the nation. And so he says to General Joab, go count all the people. I want you to conduct a census. Go out and canvas all the tribes from the north to the south and bring me the numbers. David is like Scrooge counting his gold, savoring his power. Only David is counting people that he can use, property he can tax, men he can draft for his army. And Joab instinctively knows this is a bad idea, and he says so to David. He says, may God multiply people by the hundreds right before the eyes of of my master, the king, but why on earth would you do such a thing? David will not be dissuaded, so Joab and the army officers set off to count the population. But to David's credit, no sooner does Joab give him the results of the census than his heart is filled with remorse. As it turns out, counting all his toys, charting all of his people and power on a spreadsheet, somehow aren't as satisfying for David as he had imagined they would be. Counting our toys and power and wealth hardly ever leaves us happy. In fact, it can leave us feeling strangely hollow. But David, to his credit, listens to his hollowness. And this reminds us why, for all his appalling sins and shortcomings, we still turn to David for inspiration. Instead of ignoring the emptiness inside of him or pressing on through it, as you and I might be tempted to do, David pays attention to his emptiness. One of the most beautiful things about living a God-connected life is that it's not about never messing up and always getting it right. It's about being fully present with God and with ourselves. And it's not about castigating ourselves for getting it, quote, wrong, We just simply bring ourselves back to our center with God when we realize we've wandered off. 
And so David, to his credit, pays attention to that hollow feeling that's chewing on him. He lets this uneasy feeling pry him open and turn him toward confession and repentance. God, I have sinned by taking this census, he says. Please forgive my foolishness. Well, soon after in this story, a plague comes on Israel, which decimates the very people David had been counting. The story, which is more than a little strange, I'm not going to pretend. The story says a divine messenger swept through the kingdom. But then the story also says God stopped the the angel or the messenger as it approached Jerusalem at a particular farm, at the threshing floor of a farmer named Arunah, God said to the divine messenger, enough, and so Jerusalem was spared. So on that very spot, prompted by a preacher named Gad, David decided to build an altar and offer sacrifice to God. And so the king turns to the farmer, Arunah, and says, let me buy your threshing floor to make an offering to God. And Arunah bows before David and says, take it, Lord. I give you the threshing floor. I give you the oxen. I give you the wood for the fire. Take these things and use them, O king, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But then David says something surprising. He says, no, I will not take this. I will buy it for a price. And then these wonderful words, I will not offer sacrifices to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. These are the last words we hear from David in the book of Samuel. Just before the screen fades to black. These are the words that hang like a banner over everything that has gone before. I will offer no sacrifice to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. And so today we come to the essence of a life lived after God's own heart. We see that God has made us rich in love and God has made us responsible in love. And we make an answer by giving real gifts from our real life. We refuse to be a passive keeper of our life. We keep giving it back and back and back again. We refuse to coast on somebody else's commitments. We dig deep into our own ability to commit. And we refuse to nickel and dime our answer to God because God never gave a nickel and dime gift to us. God has poured out life and love on us and so we offer back what is costly and precious. Walter Brueggemann says, if there's one statement that manages to summarize David's life, David's soul, it's the words he spoke on the day when he consecrated both his gifts and the gifts of all the people that were given to build the temple. On that day, David prayed to God, and this is 1 Chronicles 29, and said, everything we have comes from you, and we're just giving you back what we've been given from your generous hand. David knows how to receive the gift. All we have comes from you. And he knows how to return the gift. We're giving back what was given to us by your hand. This is the rhythm of a heart after God's own heart. 
So I want to ask this morning, does your life move to the rhythm of receiving and giving back? Sometimes mine does. Sometimes it doesn't. And when my heart is not beating to that rhythm, I know something in me is withering up. Do you know the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock? In his first published poem, T.S. Eliot gives this terrible, haunting, unforgettable line. I have known the evenings, mornings, afternoons. I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. You ever know people like that? Just sort of doling out careful, fearful, measured, controlled little bits of themselves when life was meant to be flung down, given away, lost into the great love of a great God. I read again this week a story that Margaret Wheatley tells in her book, Turning to One Another about a pregnant Rwandan mother of six whose village was destroyed by a massacre. She was shot first, buried beneath the bodies of each of her six slain children and left for dead. She dug herself out, buried her children, delivered her newborn baby, and soon thereafter adopted five children whose parents had been killed in the same massacre. I believe my life was spared, she said, so that I might care for these orphan children after losing my own. People after God's own heart don't clench our hands, our lives, or our love. People after God's heart pour it out. Why? Because the Christ we belong to, who healed and taught and ate with outcasts and said to sinners, I don't condemn you, that same Jesus, who, when it came his time to lay his life down, threw it down, gave it away, poured it out. And I know that it's not lost on you this morning that this episode from David's life about giving genuine gifts comes to you on the very day when we are offering financial commitments for the year ahead. An amazing coincidence. But this card you hold in your hand today is not about our need to fund the church's spending plan for 2020. This isn't about fundraising. It's about our deepest spiritual need to be alive and not dead This is about our being whole and getting free. David was so free. Several weeks ago, we watched him dance before God. Today, I imagine him dancing all the way to the offering plate. David danced with all his might. That's how you dance with God. You get up filled with God's passion and love, and you give back a passion and love of your own. And so when David got an offer to skate by on somebody else's gift, he said, nothing doing. I can't give to God what cost me nothing. I give to God with all my might. So I'm making an appeal to you today, friends. And the appeal is not the church needs your money. The the appeal is not if you give X amount, we can do such and such. The appeal today which is God's appeal to us all, is this. Come follow in the way of Jesus the Christ.
grow in the grace of giving, and in doing so, come alive. So I call you today, as I am called, to come alive with gifts that cost us something. If we offer to God what's left over after we have gotten what we want, then what have we given really? If what we offer guarantees that we get to keep the same old comforts and securities, if it doesn't inconvenience or stretch us at all, then what have we given to God really? What if we were to adopt David's words as our pledge to be alive with God? We will give nothing to the Lord our God which costs us nothing. Did you know that the very place where David said those words and offered that sacrifice became, according to scripture, the very place where the temple was later built, where people every day would bring their gifts saying, we won't offer sacrifices that cost us nothing. And very near to that place was the hill where Jesus laid himself down on a cross. And in that moment, didn't God say to us all, I will offer to you nothing that is not costly to me. This is the real gift. And it's a privilege to answer with something costly. Something like our very lives. And so good and gracious God, generous God, deliver us from the death of not giving back. Here are our hearts, our careers, our capacity to love, our ability to give something that matters to the only purpose that matters. And so please give us freedom, the freedom of Christ, to answer well. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen.